Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. On this Bad Beats episode, we will explore the human side of real estate investing with a seasoned pro about to make the legendary worst deal of their life. A deal isn't just the investment, it is also the person. Stay with us and learn what it takes to be the best investor. Welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Royal-Smith. Today, we're talking with Michael Blank about his worst deal. So, Michael, thanks for coming on the show today. And if you could fill us in a little bit about yourself so we kind of know what the framework is we should be looking at your story, that'd be awesome. Yeah, man, I'm really excited to be here, Scott. Thank you so much. I'm one of the leading authorities on multifamily investing, and I have a podcast, and my passion really is teaching other people how to get started with multifamily investing really with an end to quitting their job. And the surprising thing is that people can do it without any kind of experience or any kind of their own cash themselves. So I've done all kinds of different things, Scott, and multifamily checks off a lot of the boxes. So I'm really excited about sharing that strategy with people. Yeah, that's awesome, Michael. I have a lot of clients that come in. Like right now, we're over a thousand clients all across the nation with Royal Legal Solutions. And multifamily is such a powerful tool that I see so many people coming into that either they want to leave their jobs or they're looking for like their retirement. We help them make sure that all that what they're doing is protected. But that also comes in and saying, well, but you got to know how to make the deals first, right? So that's where somebody would reach out to you and say like, okay, how do I actually know what these deals are going to look like and if I'm doing the right thing, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's so many things to consider. So yeah, definitely legal counsel is definitely required. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and some good knowledge about actually the deal itself. <laughs> so, so Michael, we were talking about today a little bit before we come in here about your worst deal that you get onto. And I love talking about worst deals personally because I think we can look back as post-mortem uh, what happened to us when we got into our worst deals, typically where we learned the most. And it's always better to learn from other people's mistakes as much as we can. And so I appreciate you coming on and sharing us what that was like for you and so that way we can all get a better touch and feel for what's happening. So can you lay the groundwork of what's going on with you that time in your life where you're at before you even start getting into that deal? Yeah. I mean, look, I'm like a lot of other people out there. I was taught to go to school, get good grades and get a good job. And I decided to get a degree in computer science. I'm highly educated, Scott. And I was in the right place, right time, joined a software startup in 97. We IPO'd three and a half years later, put a bunch of money in my pocket. And then that startup environment kind of turned into a kind of a job. And 2005 is when I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. And it just smacked me right upside the head. It was like, wham. I'm like, man, I was pretty smart. I thought I was pretty smart. And I read that book. I was like, oh my gosh, I had so many things wrong in my finances. And I just looked at everything I've done at that point. And I decided to basically quit everything. I, I have a master's degree. I've got had 10 years of programming and, and management, all kind of stuff. And I kind of decided to throw it all away and go after and pursue this financial freedom thing. And from that, I quit my job. I got a, a real estate mentor. I flipped houses. I, I took apartment building boot camp. I learned how to trade stocks and options. And I got into restaurants and basically right around the same time. And my big idea, Scott, at the time was not real estate or anything like that. It was actually restaurants. Because I was surrounded by a bunch of people who were franchisees and they're like, oh, it costs this much to open. You're going to hire a guy and they're going to manage everything. And you just just sit back and count the passive income. And I was like, wow, sweet. That's what I want. That's what Kiyosaki talks about. So my big play was to take my entire chips and basically go all in on cash flow. And it was into a restaurant stuff. And that was my first big, massive worst deal was the whole restaurants. And it was good for about five years. I was in a state of semi-retirement. Did, in fact, count my passive income flipped a bunch of houses, did that, did this, the other thing. And then the recession hit, we kind of sort of recovered, but not really. And it started becoming a really, really big problem. So long story short, I subsequently lost all of my software IPO money through the 
restaurant experience. And that was a pretty tough experience for me. Wow, that's savage to go through that experience. Wow, there's so much to unpack into that. Like, how old are you whenever you hit the IPO and then you start turning that into a restaurant? Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing is like, you know, I was in the right place at the right time, but I didn't really necessarily earn it. But for some reason, I, I felt very attached to this money and it had to be taken away from me, Scott, to show to me that, hey, you know what, it actually wasn't yours in the first place, but it was a pretty painful experience. <laughs> yeah, man, no doubt. Wait, so that sounds actually like a whole different like lesson inside of that too, right? Is that like a big experience for you? Is like a turning point for you as like a person and like, yeah, you know, having detachment? Yeah, I mean, one of the first things I learned was that I don't control anything, right? So when I first set out on my own, I mean, I was always employed and I thought I was pretty smart and maybe I was, and I, but I never really failed at anything. So when I went out on my own, when I got in the restaurant specifically, I felt like I didn't control anything. I was doing all these different things and they weren't resulting in the kind of results they should have. And that was my first painful lessons is, hey, I don't really control anything. Well, you can't control outcomes, right? But there's certain, you can control process, right? Like you can control like, how am I thinking? What am I doing? But it might not result. That That's part. right. Yeah, yeah, but I was used to controlling the outcome, right? When you do certain things, you get a certain outcome. And this was like the real first time after you know, expending significant efforts. When you buy a restaurant, you turn it around and you, you have this great operator and you do this marketing thing and you do that and you put a bunch of money in. Theoretically, you should expect some kind of outcome. And that wasn't happening. <laughs> Yeah. And so, well, but it happened so that was five years, right, Michael? Oh, yeah. And it, right. It couldn't happen for five years. Yeah. But still, it was one of those unnerving experiences that you don't really control anything. And then, you know, when it gets bad enough, my lesson at least was I started asking the question, what should I be learning right now? And when you ask that question long enough, the universe kind of gives you hints about this is actually a test. You're actually going through something because you're being tested right now with the outcome, you being a better person than before. And the other lesson I learned was uh, to really be at peace with whatever happens because you don't control the things that happen to you, but you, you can control how you react to them. So your state of mind, your emotions, you can control how you react to things. Even though things were happening around me that weren't very good, I started becoming more peaceful around me. Nice. Let's walk this back a little bit. I think there's a lot probably to learn from until we get to that point where it's like the the nirvana of the situation, right? Or like, I'm coming to peace with all the pain. That's a solid post-mortem type result that I think we'd all have to get to. Otherwise, we just lay in bed and pull the covers over our head and we're like, nope, I'm not doing this anymore. It's too painful. When you start into going into franchising, I'm going to bet that that was something that you had researched fairly deeply and that knew a lot of the technicals behind it. And, and maybe even, it sounded like you even had some other people that you recruited to even help you get into it because it was something new. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. I mean, you, you go in there sort of kind of with eyes open, but not really. And, you know, one of the biggest mistakes I made was I didn't really have a mentor at the time that, you know, had really deep expertise in the business I was contemplating going into. And, you know, when you do something like that, you have happy years on. I felt like this money was burning a hole in my pocket and it wasn't, it needed to be deployed and earning cash flow right away. So I was very eager to deploy it, too eager, as it turns out. And if I advised myself and I would have slowed myself down a little bit. And I would have done little things more, a little bit more deliberately without such a uh, sense of urgency. Can you talk about that a little bit more, Michael, about how do you slow things down? Because those are like competing principles inside all of us, right? The want to go fast is the entrepreneurialism that drives us forward to be able to do incredible things, right? But then it's like counter has to be countered by slowing down. And in my mind, that can only be a process thing. I have to have a process for this where I can lay everything out to be able to know, okay, this is what I do regardless of how I feel. Yeah. I mean, look, there's certain things, some mistakes that we made, we probably wouldn't do again. But now knowing what we know, we probably wouldn't have done it in the first place, which actually is not good either. 
for example, I flipped three dozen houses and though I was successful at it, I probably wouldn't do it again just because it wasn't a very passive activity. But would I have bypassed that? No. You know, would I have not gone into restaurants before? You know, I wish it wouldn't have happened, frankly, but it has made me the person that I am now. So, you know, without that, I don't know who would have become. It's not so much that you have regrets or that you do things differently, but I do think that with a mentor or a coach, you can fast track the timeline and you can prevent larger mistakes from happening. So, I mean, you're right. I mean, early on, I felt the need to go quickly because I knew I was hiring a person that was running all these restaurants. It was overhead. And I knew I had to spread that overhead out as quickly as possible and get my money to work. So I felt, you know, I was going as fast as possible. Would I have done things differently had I had a coach? I don't know, or a mentor. That person may have advised me not to go in there or to maybe research the concept a little bit more. So you never know. You ask these questions. But at the end of the day, Scott, it doesn't matter. It kind of worked out as it was. And as financially painful as it was, it did shape me as a person. One of the key pieces I think is awesome about your story is that it's like the devastating types of losses that we can have in life, right? And But that there's always like a recovery. The rebound to whatever happens is inevitable as long as we stay engaged with the process of like pushing forward with it, right? And the reason I think that's a cool idea is because the fear of failure for most people is so high that they never take any action. So if you could even take bold steps and be like, I don't really know 100%. And if it bottoms out, that's okay. Like I'm going to be okay and I can still recover. That's a pretty extreme type of mental galvanization in a way, right? It is. And I remember reading some of these autobiographies before I stepped out and I was you know, reading all of them. And one thing that I noticed about them is almost all of them, actually all of them had massive failures. Some of them repeated failures. And I consider myself a fairly successful person at the time. This is before I went out on my own. And I thought, man, I just, I did something wrong with all of these guys or, some, or something wrong with me. And it certainly wasn't me. It did make me wonder a little bit because I had never really failed at anything at all. It does almost seem like if you want to be successful, it's almost like part of the process. Like you have to fail at something. Like you have to experience something where you bottom out that kind of brings your character to shine or not to shine, that brings out your character and makes you stronger. Mine certainly didn't shine. It was kind of a, a honing process throughout. But again, you learn things through that, right? Because now in business and things go badly, I can now stay calmer than I was before. I don't get upset when something happens that I didn't foresee or anything like that. And one of my major insights, this was now in, in January of 2013, when the restaurants were losing about $10,000 per month. And I had almost run out of liquidity. Now I'm not talking cash, but like debt liquidity. And I had to let my operator go. So now I was running six restaurants myself. And I was thinking, man, what should I be doing next? And so I spent a lot of time meditating, praying and figuring out what should I be doing next? And I got the very strong impression that I should be teaching other people how to become better entrepreneurs, how to become successfully financially free, which I had accomplished and then subsequently lost. But I had raised millions of dollars in the process. I flipped houses, I've traded options, I've done apartment buildings, I've done all these things. And I got a very strong impression that I should be sharing those lessons learned with other people. And from that shift, that mindset, because arguably before it was really about me and about money. Yes, it was about my family, but it was really about money. How do I take this and create cash of passive income? It didn't really serve anyone else. And in 2013, late 2013, I finally came to the realization that despite what's going on with me, it wasn't about me. It needed to be about other people. And that's when I started blogging about these things. That's how the whole thing started. And I immediately got affirmed by the people like, this is fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing. And I started doing more and more of it. And then things kind of started shifting. Everything, literally everything started shifting from that point forward. And a lot of people that I've talked to also on my podcast is they go through a similar experience 
where there's some kind of deep down misery and coming out of the misery is a realization that it's about other people. And then things just miraculously kind of shift as did for me. And it wasn't nearly intentional. It was almost like an act of surrender is really what it was. And it turned out well in the end. But (laughs) so that's kind of the third thing I learned through that is that it's not really about you. It's about what can you do to help others? Yeah. At the end of the day, like the more you can hone into that, the overall better, happier, I think we all get. Right. I mean, like that's like number one things they talk about is like, can you establish like habits of gratitude into your day and habits of serving others? And then like your life just becomes overall happier and better as people. I would venture to guess anyway, in your scenario, it's also true. It sounded like you really use like those processes of prayer and meditation to really get clear on like what it is exactly that you wanted. And that was to share with others about what it is that you have learned. And when you lined up with that, now you had a skill set that internally aligned with you. And then when people do that, whenever I hear that story from any entrepreneur, it's always rampant success. Because like, there's no stopping people that have skill sets and clarity in what they're doing and passion into it. Right? I mean... Yeah, clarity is key to it. You're totally right. And I think the more it is about other people, I think, I don't want to use the word more successful, but the easier, the better things become for you, the more fulfilling it becomes for you. And to me, it was really about being financially free because I enjoyed that for a while. And I was trying to have discussions with people about what we need to do to kind of live into our purpose, to discover our passions. And people were like, what are you talking about, Michael? I'm working 50 plus hours a week. You're so out of touch. And I noticed that they were right. Back when I was working 50 plus hours a week and I came home and I was kind of exhausted, helped put the kids to bed, you know, the weekend to do errands. And then maybe if you're lucky, you recover so you can do it again on Monday. You don't have the capacity to think about anything else, about any kind of things about significance in helping other people. So to me, becoming finisher free, not having to work for a living is almost like a prerequisite to really trying to make an impact on people. And so I analyzed all the things I've done. I said, which of all the things I've done, what should I do for myself to get myself out of it? The answer was apartment buildings. And can I teach that to other people? And the answer was yes. Questions were like, well, can I do that if I, without having a lot of previous real estate experience? The answer was yes. You need some knowledge for that. And what if I don't have any money? The answer was yes, because I've raised money. Now, it was clunky in the beginning, and I've gotten much better at it now. And these are all things that I was able to implement myself. And more importantly, I was able to teach. And that's what we do right now. So it's a very teachable, very learnable, very thing that people can replicate over and over again. So when I thought about the clarity thing about financial freedom, how to do it for myself, and then how to do it for others, that was the one thing that I came up with. And so that's kind of what I started blogging about. And I started creating training programs and podcasts around now it's even more fulfilling because now people are starting to do the same thing, right? They've been doing it for a year or two and all of a sudden they're quitting their job. And that's just so fulfilling. And so I'm just really energized by that. Keep doing what I'm doing. No, that's awesome, man. I was just wondering about that for people, everybody you know, listens to this show. I think they're, most people are pretty experienced investors that are listeners. And what I'm wondering about in there is that there's a piece to what I think you just said, which is, hey, you actually need to free up resources but to be able to be able to do this kind of deeper work about getting like clarity into it. Because otherwise, it's kind of like you're shell-shocked just by life, right? Between like family, kids, work, whatever. There's not really an opportunity in there for you to be able to do that like deeper level of work that you need to to have that level of clarity to be able to make like the really huge strides. But I wonder, would you agree with that, first of all? like into that saying, like there's a prerequisite of amount of time or energy or space you have to be able to create first. And to get you know that. what? It's a good question, Scott. I've been studying this a lot because I've been curious about the people who take action and seemingly have success and the people who are stuck or never take action, never actually change their circumstances. So I'm 100% convinced there's no pre-existing condition that you need that helps 
or takes away from your success. I've boiled it down to a very simple thing, and that is uh, you have to decide. Like literally decision is like the thing. Tony Robbins has a quote, something like, it's in your moments of decision that your destiny is shaped, something like that. And it really, really resonates with me because the people, when I always trace back a decision point, when some, they've had enough, like there's something happens in their life where they've decided at that moment, it could be something like uh, one of my coaches now, he's tell the story, he was putting his seven-year-old to bed. And she goes, daddy, you're going to be here tomorrow. I have this play going on. He goes, no, honey, I'm sorry. I have to work tomorrow. And as soon as he said it, and he had like, he had like four single family houses before. And that moment in his head, he goes, and he was on a 10 year retirement plan. He was like two years into it. He goes, another eight years, I'm going to miss my kid. And he was working 50 hours a week. He was one of those guys, 50, 60 hours a week. I can't wait another eight years because she's going to grow. And I'm going to miss her childhood. And in that moment, he decided that he had to change that pretty good path that he was on. He was making good money. He already had some rental property. In that moment, he decided and he met immediately in the multifamily. Within a year and a half, he was quit his job. And he's not the isolated incident because I study these people and it all comes to a decision point. It's so simple, Scott. It's amazing. When people decide then and there that enough is enough and the current life they have right now is no longer acceptable to them and this other new life has to happen. And from that point forward, and it doesn't matter what you do, whether you're doing X, Y, and Z, in this case, it's multifamily, all of a sudden things happen. They naturally take action things naturally happen and all of a sudden they're successful. It's this incredible phenomenon. And so it really is decision point. And what's odd about it is, you know, I have people spend $15,000 in my coaching program and then after three months, they fall off the wagon. Oh, I took on a promotion. Well, Dave, why would you do that? Promotion means you're traveling more. You have less time to do this. Yeah, but it's a great opportunity. So sometimes people lie themselves and me in the process where they simply haven't decided yet. Most likely, I think, because their current life ain't so bad. And when your status quo ain't so bad, why change it? There's no compelling reason to change it. Yeah, well, there has to be a certain amount of disgruntledness, right? I don't know how to describe it, right? Like I, Discontent. Offer, yeah, it's a discontent, yeah. right? It's like a positive yeah. discontent. Like, this is not getting right. into that. That, like, works in, like, conjunction with itself. Like, I have, like, a serious bad case of this where, like, it's never good enough. But then I have to remind myself that it's okay for today. But it's never going to be good enough, but it's okay for today. And that's like the internal game that I play with it. But I find that it's from the people I've worked with, there's actually no situation that's bad enough if you're willing to accept it. And then at the converse side, I know people that are billionaires that it's never also not enough, no matter how much they ever have, right? I think there is like a deeper game that's getting played with a lot of people and it doesn't seem to have much difference between like the race, the socioeconomic background, what their families or like what their education is. And it comes down a lot into just saying like, are you willing to do what it takes to be able to move forward with it as you want? And are you clear on what it is you want enough to be able to go after it? Which is cool. And that gets us going and that gets us moving. But in the same time, right, you were not guaranteed outcomes just because we took actions, right? Just like you can have a restaurant fail or you can have whatever you want. Like failures can happen in the moment, it seems like. But it's kind of like a shit sailing a course where you're off course, and you're on course like as you go through. But like as long as you keep sailing, it eventually, you know, like tomorrow will be the next step. It's going to be my rebound into whatever's going to come back. Whenever we have like a hard time with the falls, whether it's relationships or family or, you know, whatever else is going on or finances, it seems like. But I think it's just cool that you have like an opportunity to speak to people on that kind of level. It sounds like, Michael, like what you're doing is like financial coaching, right? Into doing what it is that you do professionally with that. But it's also a huge amount of 
you know, what are frameworks that you actually need to build internally? Like, what's your internal foundation like that really sets you up for being successful on a, like, a long-term basis? Yeah, I mean, I think Robert Kiyosaki uh, and others talk about this be, do, have thing, right? You got to be first, do second, and have third. And I was all of the do and have mentality. You do things so you have stuff. If your being is not quite there, the foundation is not there. Yeah, well, the, it's uh, it's very difficult to be successful because the, your being is not right there. So, and I, I always underappreciated that. I read about it in the mindset and it's a bunch of hooey, right? But now looking back on it, the mindset really has to be has to be there. It's got to be foundation first. So that being is very, very important. That's awesome, man. What do you do? You have like a daily practice or like a morning ritual or anything like that that you do to like help like reinforce that daily set of being. Yeah. I mean, I started this, I'd say about two and a half years ago. I've always struggled with a kind of a morning routine. And then I read uh, The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. And what I like about it, he's very pragmatic about what you do in the morning. Like, what do you do in the first 60 minutes of your morning? You do 10 minutes of that, you do 10 minutes of this, you do five minutes of that. And I was like, huh, okay, I'm going to try that. And that has really made a material difference for me because in the morning, before you start putting out fires and answering emails, you have time to kind of reflect on things, to visualize things, to just be grateful, things you don't have the luxury at two o'clock in the afternoon when crap's hitting the fan. That really has has made a difference. And I'm, I've been fairly consistent uh, with it since then. Do you think that practices that, you, like, that you've learned now since the, a restaurant failure, I don't know if it's fair to, to call it that, but just as a point of reference to that, if you would have had some of like the practices you know now in place, at that time or before that time, do you think it would have made much of a difference in how you would approach those situations to potentially thwart that happening? Or was it just inevitable because of circumstances and unpredictability in markets? Yeah, I mean, I, the questions will have made a difference. I don't know. I mean, probably. And I say that only because it allows you to reflect a lot of things about what has happened. You know, what has happened, you kind of, when you're looking forward, it creates clarity about what you want moving forward and clarity about what you don't want. It also allows you to be more at peace, I guess, while it's happening. So, you know, who knows? It's hard to say, but I was not in that point. I had this very uncanny ability to worry. I literally had a, a gift to worry. I could literally, in my brain, over hours on end, map out the different things that would happen. And if that were to happen, this were to happen. And it really stressed me out. I, mean, I had trouble sleeping. I was very tense all the time. This went on for years. And, and I'll, I'm, I don't have that anymore, which is great. So Miracle Morning, would that have helped? I think so. Essentially, that's kind of what it forced me to do. I didn't call it at the time. It kind of uh, forced me into reflection and to silence a little bit more. Actually, it would have helped quite a bit. And I know a lot of people, successful people, who who do something very similar early in the morning. Uh, that's awesome, Michael. I think we're, we're just about out of time for today. And there's one way that I like to always wrap up every episode is kind of like, what's our lesson learned from today from the story that we heard? Like if you were going to wrap up from the story that you have here, that you told us here today, like what would that be like that Aesop's fable type of, of lesson learned from that? If I were to sum it up, I would say I would challenge everyone to live more intentional lives. It's probably the lesson. And that involves a lot of different things. Intentional lives involves uh, you reflecting on life, you looking back on what you've been through. It requires you to be clear about what you really want. The goal may not be to, oh, I want to get started with real estate investing. No, the goal is I want to quit my job. I want to do, I want to volunteer more. I want to spend time with my family. How I really get there is secondary, right? So becoming really clear about what you want. And if I, if I were to use that lens, I probably would have bypassed the whole house flipping stuff. While making good money, there was really nothing passive about flipping houses. Most people, I would say, drift through life. They live a non-intentional, 
a non-intentional life because they're so busy with things, uh, obviously very important things like working. Working is a, is a huge distractor. It's very difficult, I think, in my opinion, talking to others, when you're working 50 hours a week, it's very, very difficult to be intentional because your mind is so consumed with work and then family if you, if you have one. So living an intentional life in that context is very difficult. And, and you know, 99% of the people, you know, that's what they have to deal with every single day. And so it's a challenge. And the challenge really is to be more intentional. And I think doing a miracle morning in the morning definitely starts that off. And from that, then once you're intentional, people ask me all the time, how do I do this on the side when I'm working? And what do I do? And it's all about setting priorities. And those priorities can only come from intentional living. If you are very mindful of what you want, you're very clear about what you want, then anything you do from that point on, if it's not part of that intention, then it's a distraction from that and you don't do it. So it's actually a very, very simple lens. And most people are just not intentional enough. So that's kind of, if I were to boil it down, and it's something that I didn't do until I was, my gosh, in my mid-30s, I drifted through life for the majority of my life until I started developing an awareness around that stuff. And so I think if I were to boil it down, it'd be, it'd be that. Oh, that's awesome, Michael. I, I was just, you know, while you were giving that explanation, that, uh, that summary, I was kind of thinking back a little bit to some of my tech entrepreneur friends, because I'm here in Austin, Texas. Everybody's building different kinds of tech companies and app companies and whatnot. And all of us practice a morning routine, right? We all have like little tweaks and differences about what do we all do. But all that gets based upon the fact of we set time aside every day in the very beginning of the morning to be able to set clear intentions from the day. So for me, that's always like writing down, having to physically write down what's my top three things that I know today makes a win. Because I'm going to have a thousand things once I step into the office. None of the things that I think are going to be like the really three most important things are going to happen if I don't have them written down and budgeted time to be able to do it. With me and my buddies here are talking about it was that you don't have any more resources by the end of the day and you don't have any clarity by the end of the day because you've already kind of like gone through a trench. So if you can do it in the morning, then you're able to like your mind's at its freshest. It doesn't hasn't got waylaid by all of these inputs that like, coming out the day. That's when you actually have an opportunity to really be able to like hone in on what's really going on inside of you and inside of your own mind to be able to get clarity on those pieces. It's like a game changer that only takes 15 minutes to be able to do it. Like it's the one thing that I would say that if there's any piece that I would attribute to my success, it's that 15 minutes every morning. Because otherwise, you're just like a drift, exactly as you said. You're a drift throughout your day, being busy, but accomplishing not nearly as little. If anybody has any other you know, entrepreneur friends or tech friends, or Michael might resonate with this as well too, you can be insanely busy all day and only move your company up like 1% because you can't do very much really. But if you have really high clarity about what needs to happen you can move like mountains of what actually needs to occur just because you know the right button to push, but not that you're pushing a thousand buttons um, into it. And that can only come by having the clarity that comes to having in the morning routine into it. So I, I hope that was not just a rambling statement of some pseudo uh, scientific and uh, <laughs> philosophical garbage, but like seriously, like it's really like awesome, awesome, awesome stuff. If you guys haven't ever tried it before, give it a week and do it consistently for just one week and you'll notice massive change. Cool. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show today. Again, my name is Scott Smith. I'm the host here at the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. We went through our worst episode and philosophical exploration today with Michael Blank. And Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show. And people want to get a hold of you. Um, what's the best way to do that? People can find me at my website, themichaelblank.com. That's T-H-E, Michael Blank, B-L-A-N-K. I just pronounce it funny. So if people are interested in ever quitting their job with any kind of real estate, 
then check it out because you might be surprised by what you find. I have all kinds of free resources there. I have an ebook there. I have a YouTube channel, podcast. So check it out if that intrigues you. Yeah, man. And everybody, like uh, I highly endorse finding people that are going to teach you about finances or anything else in your life that are also lined up individuals themselves. Because the kind of research they're going to teach you aren't in one specific small category of like they're an expert on like just this 1% area, but they're missing the other 99. It's about how do you chain ideas together through various points of your life to make a whole system of what it means to be alive work together well. So just like we heard with Michael here today, you know, just like I always recommend hiring professionals that are CPAs and attorneys or anybody else that are in the same business you're in. Like these are fundamental precursors that lets you know that the information you're going to be getting is much more powerful than just the small technical piece that's advertised. So thank you again, Michael, for coming on the show. Really awesome session today. Really appreciate it. Again, this is the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Smith, uh, signing off for the day. That's all for this Bad Beats episode. I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith, with the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. Did you see yourself in any part of that story? I know I did. If you enjoyed the show, leave a review to help clue in the sleeping masses of what they need to know and what we all need reminders of. Do your good deed for the day. Thanks, and I'll see you again soon.